It's our job to tell better stories. And always remember, it's the risk takers that are rewarded. People are sick and tired of being marketed to, and they're sick and tired of being sold. The single biggest story today in sales and marketing is how our customers are buying different Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by SaaS marketing agency Advance B2B. It's your host here Edward Ford and today we're joined by a very special guest Sangram Vajre, co-founder and chief evangelist at Terminus. So in this episode we're going to talk about three topics. So firstly how to start a movement in marketing and more specifically we hear the story of how Sangram and the Terminus team sort of unwittingly launched the Flip My Funnel movement. Secondly, and tied to the Flip My Funnel movement, we discuss account-based marketing, which companies are best suited to this strategy and how you can get started with ABM. And thirdly, we talk about category leadership and how to create new categories and own existing categories, which is exactly what Terminus have done in the ABM space. Now, Sangram is an absolutely awesome guy and trust me, this is a great episode. You're in for a real treat. As ever, stay tuned to the end of the episode where Sangram takes on our Fast Five Challenge. So here is episode number 24 of the Growth Hub podcast with Sangram Vajray, co-founder and chief evangelist at Terminus. Welcome to the show, Sangram Vajray, co-founder and chief evangelist at Terminus. So Sangram, thanks so much for joining us today. I am pumped and excited, man. We've been uh, trying to do this for a while, so I'm excited to be finally on the show. Yeah, exactly. We finally found some time to to catch up and we're going to be talking about three things which I'm very excited about. So firstly, the Flip My Funnel movement. Secondly, ABM, account-based marketing. And then thirdly, category leadership. So we could start with Flip My Funnel, but I guess before we jump into the movement that you guys have started, what is wrong with marketing funnels and what do you guys mean by flipping the funnel? <laughs> You know, um, there's a quick story around that. Uh, I, I, in 2015, I went to the MarTech conference that Scott Brinker host, and I was on a flight from San Francisco to Atlanta, uh, about four or five hours flight, and I got a middle seat, so I was a lucky guy. <laughs> and uh, even more lucky was the internet wasn't working, and the two guys next to me didn't really care about anything and seemed to be quite drunk. Uh, so it, it was, you know, long story short, it was a really interesting flight. And on that flight, all I had was a napkin and a piece of paper um, and, and a pen. And, and I, I was thinking about the conference. And at that conference in 2015, I, I thought I heard everybody talk about the funnel and how to make funnels effective and efficient. And, and I just felt like, man, this just you're looking at the problem maybe wrong. And so I started to draw the traditional funnel, which is an upside down triangle. And, and it's really, Forrester came out with the research in 2015 around the same time that said less than 1% of the leads that marketing and sales teams are creating are turning into customer. Said another way, 99% of what marketing and sales does, does not drive revenue. And to me, it, it really created a big um, chasm in my heart because I'm like, wait a minute, that's a, that's a big problem. I, I can't, this I can't. This this has to be fixed in some way or at least addressed. So I, out of pure curiosity, on the flight and had nothing better to do, I flipped it and drew out a real triangle and it and came up with some of the stages. Uh, call it identify, expand, engage, and advocate, and call it flip my funnel. Um, and, and really, because I had nothing better to do, I wrote a blog on that flight. And by the time I landed, tried to publish it, 
And, and that really started the conversation around, well, maybe we're looking at the funnel wrong and maybe there got to be a better way to do marketing and sales. And that led to about nine conferences, uh, 10,000 people in the community and took my funnel, a lot of really interesting uh, ideas and, and, and offshoots from it. So just has been a lot of fun, but really the flight uh, uh, 10,000 feet above the ground is when the idea really popped out. Okay, that's where it came. So could you tell us then about the steps of the, the flipped funnel? So I think a lot of people listening will be familiar with the traditional marketing funnel, but you mentioned the four stages there. So could you go into a bit more detail and explain the funnel stages inverted? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's really, you know, to me, it has been almost like, if you are in B2B and if you're listening to this, uh, I think this should really resonate with you because I feel in B2B today, it should be like yellow pages. So the four stages, the number one of the four stages is identify, which is let's identify the best fit accounts. Not every account in the world. I remember asking my sales teams once when I was at Pardot running marketing before the acquisition of Salesforce, by, by Salesforce, um, they, they say, hey, say, who do, would you like to sell? And they said, well, Nike and, and Apple and Adidas. And I'm like, wait a minute. They, they, they're not <laughs> Right? So it's not about just you know who you want to sell to. It's like who are the best fit accounts. So identify is really important to to make sure that you understand what your fit looks like based on who you're selling to and ICP and all that stuff. So identify is identifying the accounts. The second part, which I feel most I, I have uh, missed on that step for the last 10, 15 years until until we got into ABM, is the idea of expansion, like expanding within the account, which means. We all know there are five, 10, if not 15 people part of the decision-making process. So it's not about number of leads I can generate. It's about number of leads from the right accounts I can generate. So expansion is really going deeper in, in, the, in the company and getting in front of all the decision-makers and influencers in the company that will never fill up a form or will take the time to see, uh, check out your website or be in a boardroom making a decision if they're going to buy from you or not. So really important part of the, the funnel that we know nobody really looks at. So expansion is the second stage. The third is engaging, which is pretty common, right? Engaging people on their terms. I feel that the biggest difference between the traditional and the flip funnel is that in the traditional, you start with engagement. Oh, let's just create a webinar. Let's just create a, a, an event. Let's just create an ebook. You just go through the checklist of things. You start with engagement. Then you find if the right people are, are downloading stuff. Then you see if you if they would be ready to buy, and then somebody would hopefully buy. And which is why the 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 stat around one less than one percent in the flip funnel engagement is now very very precision driven. You all you're focused on the right accounts, then you're focused on the right people in those accounts. So now your webinars or eBooks or whatever content you're creating, you're engaging people on their terms, but also creating engagement that is way more personalized because you're not boiling the ocean and getting going after everybody. So, so you're very more precise. Your webinars may not have thousand people attending it, but may have 20 people attending it, but those are the right 20 people that you want to get in front of. And then the last stage is advocacy, which is really the, the, whole goal is how do we create advocates not just customers but advocates and the funny thing is uh, Edward I've learned the hard way that you can create advocates even before they become your customers what I mean by that is if you're focused on the right people and you take the time to learn about them and get your messaging right and engage with them in the right way if you really do follow this flip my funnel method 
they may not buy from you right now, maybe because they don't have the, the approval or the board or the budget, whatever it might be, but they will be talking about you at a happy hour with their peers. So they become your advocates way before, and because you're focusing only on a few, you really start creating a much deeper relationship with them. So, so those are the four stages, identify, expand, engage, and advocate. Awesome. So you notice this shift from the traditional marketing funnel to the flipped funnel. So why did you then decide to start the flip my funnel movement or the hashtag flip my funnel movement? I should say. <laughs> I mean, I, I didn't, um, honestly, I did not decide to start a movement and never that, that thought never really occurred. Um, quite honestly, I, I wish I would say, man, I had a perfect plan. I think <laughs> here's a movement I built. I actually didn't. It was hundred percent by accident. Um, we, I wrote a blog post after that flight we talked about, and that blog post kind of went viral in the B2B sense. Uh, that means more than 10 people looked at it and, uh, it, you know, in the B2B space and people said, Hey, this is a really interesting topic. Um, you know, we'd love to talk more. And then somebody suggested, Hey, you should do an event on this topic. So that led to the first event in Atlanta. So two months later, I think in March I wrote it and then in August, we did our first event in Atlanta and I invited the, the, the top B2B marketing and sales uh, influencers and practitioners to come speak. No terminus uh, pitch. We don't even have, we just had a booth just like everybody else. Um, and there was no product pitch whatsoever. I just wanted to bring people together and talk about the problem. And, and, and 350 people showed up from all over the United States, which was crazy for the first conference. And then, you know, we said, well, we should do a road show. Let's just take it beyond Atlanta. So we went to Chicago and Boston. Then people said, well, we need to do a bigger event and let's partner up. So partnered up with Sales Hacker and did Revenue Summit that had 1,500 people. And like, you know, a few weeks ago, we did one in Boston. We, I mean, so about the same number of people. So we have done like nine conferences and the community kept growing and asking questions. And it is a 100% community-led. So if you go to flipmuffle.com, you would see the blogs and the content from, from community. So it's been really interesting. So I would like to take credit for it, but I can't take the credit for building a movement. I think it's, it's just built by itself. Yeah, and you said that you've had uh, several events, most, most recently in Boston, but then you've also had a big podcast, which is... Uh, you know, taken off hugely since the start of the year. But why did you decide to keep Flip My Funnel separate from Terminus? Because the two are so heavily overlapped in that Flip My Funnel is really at the heart of ABM. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, what's interesting about, and it's an evolving thing, um, I think, you know, when we started off, we, we really, as a co-founder of Terminus, um, I, I really felt that, look, we are first time almost founder. I mean, I'm, I'm, I've never done a startup before. Um, and we're based in Atlanta. We didn't really had a lot of money to raise at that time. And it's a new category all in itself. So I felt like, well, how do you find our way out, especially coming out of the, the Scott Brinker's market conference? There are 5,000 companies at that time and now 7,000. Like, how do, we, how do we punch above our weight class so people would notice this? And what I realized at that point, and we as a team started to think about it, is that, well, there's no category of one there has to be more than one player in order for that category to be created. So the flip my funnel became a place where we invited even our competitors uh, to come and speak at the conference. So everybody that would be a competitor now, or even at that time, uh, everybody who was in ABM space, like demand based engage to any and everybody sponsored the conference, uh, which 
we meant that we have to continue to keep it vendor agnostic because we didn't have the money to, to pony up for it. So we continued to create that and the movement continued to grow. And we realized that the more people are talking about it, the more vendors are together, the more we can bring analysts and media and the more practitioners come and chat about it, the better of a chance of building a category. So it was a very much a category creation, more of a thought process. And then over a period of time, of course, the best product and platform will continue to grow and the, and the market is big enough to have more than one platform uh, to, to arise from it. But we wanted to make sure that we help build the category so that we can have a future. There are a lot of companies in MarTech and industry and startups that we have seen, I've seen personally, I'm sure you have too, where they have great product, but they never see the light. Um, of the day and, and they just go away and we didn't want to be that we wanted to make sure that the category existed which is why we continue to keep as much as possible flip my funnel and, and terminus as a separate thing i mean it's not like an entity in itself it's literally a domain and hashtag so uh, it's not like <laughs> a company builder on flip my funnel it, it literally is literally i bought a domain for eight bucks and i run a podcast called flip my funnel as you said um and so it, we just you just do it because it's fun to do and it helps build the category uh, and that's really has been the thought behind it yeah exactly and we'll come on to talk about category leadership and uh, building and creating categories a bit later on. But at the heart of Flip My Funnel is, of course, account-based marketing and ABM. So is ABM a strategy that all companies can employ or is better suited just to those businesses going after, for example, larger enterprise customers or who only need a low volume of new deals or new customers, for example? That's an excellent question, Edward. Uh, I wish more people would ask that question because I think a lot of people, as you might have noticed, are just jumping on the bandwagon of ABM. And as a vendor myself, uh, I should be super excited, but I'm not about that because it is not for everybody. Um, and and it, it, it is for companies that have a higher ACV, that have a strategic list of accounts they want to go after. And, and look, um, I, I've been talking about this idea of not, it's not about inbound or outbound, it is uh, about all bound, which means that look, certain part of your business may require you to do transactional volume-based business. So for example, if you're selling a you know, $100 widget of some sort uh, to businesses, I don't think ABM is right for you. You probably are better off doing a ton of um, you know, transactional volume kind of oriented activities. And now if you sell 100,000, like some of our customers, one of our customers sells airplane parts. Well, there are only like, you know, 10 companies that are going to buy airplane parts. So it makes perfect sense for them to do pure ABM. As a matter of fact, they've already been doing ABM. They just never called it that. So I think there are, I have seen um, over the course of the last four years, there are businesses that make sense 100% to go ABM when the volume is, uh, it's not about closing 1,000 deals uh, a quarter, it's about closing 10 deals a quarter or 20 deals a quarter and they're higher volume, uh, higher value deals. They're 100,000 or more. Uh, and that kind of thing, that, that starts to really get into better ABM practices because ABM, as, as you said, it's a strategy, not a tactic. And then what I've also seen in companies like, uh, you know, like, like really big corporations where they have a self-serve uh, part of the business and they have a small transaction volume of the business and then they have at the, the same time this bigger, uh, bigger value deals that they're selling. So I've seen companies operate with both models at the same time. So it really matters 
to understand who you're going after, what is the size of the deal that you're going after, and then focus on the strategy and see what works. Yeah, so do you guys at Terminus use an ABM strategy? Oh man, like I'll tell you, and we have been very open about this, for the first two years, we did not. Um, we did not do ABM ourselves. And it, you know, it, it's a shame, uh, but we are a very open, transparent company, so we shared very openly. We were a volume-based company, uh, even though we preached and talked about ABM, because at that point, it honestly didn't make sense. It was a green field, and our ABM strategy was really like all these events and going to the right places and trying to bring the right people. But then we hit a point where it was about a year and a half ago where we couldn't scale the business as fast as we wanted to. And it really came down to a halt where we're like, okay, we're doing this, but we're not, we're not able to increase the prices on our deals. We're not able to do all these things. And we 100% pivoted to doing ABM. And thanks to Todd McCormick, who's our chief revenue officer and the marketing team, we really got together and said, you know what? We have to change the way we do it if you want to practice ABM and preach ABM at the same time. So, so we shifted about a year and a half ago and we have never looked back and it has been the best decision for us as a company. So I feel from going from like, well, it's a great idea. It is the best growth strategy for a company like ours. And it, it has changed our scorecard. We can get into that if you want to. It has changed our way of uh, reporting on, on any and everything that does marketing sales. It has changed even the sales compensation because no longer they have 10,000 accounts in their name or leads in their name. They have like 100. Um, so we have to be very surgical around that and their compensation has changed. So a lot of things have changed all the way to reporting to the board because board has never seen anything like this before. Um, they've only seen Excel spreadsheet, which has a volume game and you know percentage conversion. And we're like, no, no, no. ABM is really going to allow us to do this better and faster. And, and one more thing on that, Edward, is, is, is I think people, uh, listeners might be thinking about ABM overall is that, look, as I started Terminus, I realized something in the financial statements. And it was that sales and marketing efficiency is a number. So I thought sales and marketing were two line items. They're not. In sales and marketing are one number, one efficiency number, which means that the board, the investors, everybody's looking at how's your efficiency number. So if the sales number goes up, marketing gets more budget. If the sales number goes down, marketing's budget and resources are cut. That's just a normal phenomenon. And I've experienced that all my career. But now I understand more than ever that the value of B2B marketing is defined by sales. And what I mean by that is that you as a marketer, I as a marketer, have to really get aligned with it. And, and that's what happened a year ago where we said, you know what, we're not going to just create all this content. We're going to create content that's going to help us drive demand and going to help us close deals for the sales teams. And that changed everything for us. Yeah, exactly. I think you've hit like a huge pain point for a lot of marketing teams in particular in that the sales marketing alignment is always a struggle. But when you decide to take an ABM strategy into use, it really forces that alignment. So I think if uh, some companies are struggling with that and ABM makes sense, that's definitely one thing to, to consider. So it's very interesting to hear that you transition from a sort of targeting huge amount of companies to then pivoting towards an ABM strategy. So how can companies actually get started with ABM? What, what would your advice be, Sangram? I would say, and that's another great question. I feel like people jump in uh, thinking, as a matter of fact, again, I, you know, my sales team is going to hate this answer that I'm <laughs> like, Terminus is not ABM. 
um, you know, Terminus is a part of your ABM strategy, and it's great to do use Terminus. It's probably the easiest and the fastest way to get started. But Terminus is not ABM. We have a lot of customers that have come, uh, and then they left, and then came back again. And when we look behind, like, well, what happened? Well, did, did we not do a good job? Our product didn't work. It wasn't our product uh, nine out of ten times. It was that they did not have the right list of accounts to go after. And that became the number one thing. So we very proactively would not close deals um, as a company because we feel, if you feel like the company is not ready to do ABM. So the number one step is really goes back to very, very interestingly, um, and maybe obviously to the identify step, which is people need to really know who they're going after. And, and, and I think what's happening is there was a time and in, in overall in the last 10 years, sales, you were responsible for figuring out which accounts to go after. And I think the pendulum has swung back uh, to marketers. Now, marketing needs to work with data and intent companies and figure out which companies to go after and then give those companies and figure out an engagement strategy with your sales team to figure out how you activate those, um, those accounts. So I think the biggest thing that I'm seeing as a big shift is one, you don't start with ABM unless you have the right accounts. You know that you, your sales team, and your executive team, everybody's bought into it. And number two, the ownership of which accounts to go after need to be swung back to marketing team and in collaboration with sales, but really the marketing needs to own it based on the fit and intent data. Yeah, that's great advice. And now if we move to the uh, third topic that we're planning to talk about, and we actually spoke about this a bit earlier, category leadership and category creation. Why did you decide to focus on becoming a category leader within ABM? <laughs> um, I, you know, uh, it's, it's a very interesting question. Um, um, let me just share uh, a story. I was, I was invited to speak at a, uh, I, I won't share the name of that um, VC firm, but I was inv invited to speak at a, at a VC firm um, to all of their portfolio of companies. And I was like, great, yeah, I'm happy to come and speak to your portfolio of companies. Hey, we can sell Terminus, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, all these like, you know, uh, and, and the room was filled with, you know, at least a, a billion dollar worth of investment from that VC company. So I knew this was like the right target audience for me. That's like perfect ABM for me. Um, and uh, I, when I said, okay, great, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to come and speak. And uh, I said, okay, you want me to talk about flipping funnels and ABM and strategy and case studies? They're like, no, no, no. We want you to come and tell us how you became a category leader in ABM. I'm like, wait, 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 wait a minute. What? Why do you want me to come and talk about that? Like, you know, do, do you not want to do ABM? They're like, no. We know that of the 10 companies as a VC, this, is, this came directly from a VC firm, he, uh, said, and the partner over there said, we know of the 10 companies that we have invested, nine of them are going to flake out. There's only going to be one that's going to be uh, be able to survive and of and if that one company is not a category leader we know we're not going to get returns as we expect from that because if you're a category leader your returns are 10 times more than the one that's running number two or number three or or you know as a matter of fact number four may not even exist after a couple of years because that will get acquired so the VCs, the board, the people who put money in these companies, they understood that category leadership is by far a business thing. Uh, it, it really gives them more value, a return uh, on their investment. That's how they look at 
that's how I, for the first time I understood from their point of view, what do they look for in companies? And, 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 and the fact that they are taking such a big risk saying eight or nine of those companies are going to flake out and they're okay with it because they're betting on this one, but this one company that they're betting on that may, they don't know which one is going to be successful. They want that company to think they want that company to act and they want that company to behave like a category leader. And that's why they brought me in to, to share the story of how we built for my funnel. And that led us to owning the category that led us me to write a book on account-based marketing. And now we do this podcast that brings hundreds of thousands of people to listen to us without even pitching. We are continuing to be in almost every ABM conversation. And, and as you said, becomes, we have become the de facto. We don't say we are the leader in ABM. People say that we are, and, and they wanted that to, uh, to be the case. So it, that conversation, Edward, changed my entire outlook and I went double down on building a greater brand and focusing on the community as, as an aspect. Um, there's, there's just one more lesson I learned in that was without a community, we are simply a commodity. And what I mean by that is anybody can build what Terminus has built. Like, let's just be honest, right? You know, you, you hire a few people and, and they would do it. It might take some time and whatnot, but yeah, they can build, anybody can build Salesforce. Anybody can build Drift. Uh, anybody can build all these softwares that are out there. It has never been more easier to build a software. What's been hard and what's the heart of all of this is if you look around, every single category leader has a community. You think about Salesforce, why are they doing Dreamforce? You think about HubSpot, why are they doing Inbound? You think about Gainsight, why do they invest in Pulse? You think about Drift, why are they doing uh, Hypergrowth and Seeking Wisdom? You think about Terminus, why are we doing Flip My Follow? Like it all comes down to is having a great community around you because you become part of that and the community becomes part of the solution and the product that you might create in the future. So to me, that really simplified in a lot of sense that this is the right thing. We, we didn't plan for it, as I said earlier. We didn't think about it, um, at least in the beginning stages of our company. Um, but in the last year or so, it has been become our major focus is to be a very community-first uh, oriented company to drive category leadership. Yeah, and I think this is super interesting because like you mentioned, category leadership is more of a business strategy, but marketers have such a big role to play in this, especially when you talk about building the community, when it comes to building your brand and having an association between your brand and the category that you're creating. So I would love to know, you know what does it take to become a category leader? <laughs> uh, that's a magical question. That's almost yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the next book. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I would love to. Uh, I think, uh, I don't know the, the, obviously the magic formula around it. I don't think there's a silver bullet around all of this. But what I do, and we can only draw from some of these examples. So let's just, let's just, let's just talk through it. I feel like, first of all, you have to be an eternal evangelist of the problem, not the product. I feel like that is, that is at the heart of it is, if you think about Steve Jobs, if you think about Mark Benioff, if you think about Jeff Bezos, or if you think about uh, Hypergrowth uh, with David Cancel and Gerhardt, they're all evangelists of the problem. Uh, the product is just a byproduct of who they are and what they're building as a business, but they constantly talk about the problem. And, and they are focusing on this, what I feel is the idea of problem market fit, not product market fit. Uh, what I mean by that is 
many people uh, become obsessed with this idea of product market fit and say, you know what, that's what we need to focus on. Let's just keep iterating, pivoting on the product. Let's just figure out, get 10 more customers to pay for it. And now we have a product market fit. And I, I understand it. I get it. Actually was in the same boat myself in the very early days. And then as we as we kind of ran into Flip My Funnel and this idea of brand and category building, I realized that no, what we needed to do and what we ended up doing, um, thankfully, is we created a problem market fit. We made sure that the problem was big enough and because we have all these hundreds of thousands of people listening to our Flip My Funnel podcast, we know there are thousands of people coming to our conference, we know that the market exists. So we now have a problem market fit. And the product is just a byproduct. Like we will be creating, iterating, changing the product, but we should never lead by it. And I feel to be a category leader, you cannot lead with your product. You have to lead with a community. You have to lead with the problem. And I feel, you know, again, I don't think there's any silver bullet, but I feel that is the one lesson that, that I've learned in the process. Yeah, I think for sure there's not one, one little trick tip or hack that's going to magically turn you into category leader overnight. But I love a couple of those quotes that really get to the heart of the philosophy, like evangelize the problem, not the product, and then build communities, not commodities. I think those are fantastic pullout quotes. And like, if, if we think a bit more about category leadership and take HubSpot, for example, and the category of inbound marketing, and now with Drift, we talked about them and conversational marketing. So these companies, they created a new category, but I, I would argue that account-based marketing is something that has been around for some time. People have talked about it in the past. So what advice would you give to companies who want to become the leader of an existing category rather than say creating something new themselves? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And it, it is something that more and more people are recognizing. Like I know um, people would die to be even be called a category, you know, be in a category <laughs> because they get shoved in like, there are amazing video marketing companies today, but there's not a video marketing category. So they end up become channeled and that means they cannot charge too much of, even though there's a lot of value in video marketing, but it's just not a category. So there are only a few categories that have been created in the last 10, 15 years. If you think about email, then you, as you said, inbound, and then you, know, you look at marketing automation and now ABM. So it, that that's where I think then more people kind of get associated, want to associate with the, if you are, if you have an opportunity to build a category, I would say it's very hard and, and it's in a new category. So it's, it's a very hard thing to do. Um, and, and many people, uh, we, we definitely got very lucky around that. If you are in an existing category and if you are saying, okay, now the category exists, let's say if somebody was trying to get into ABM today, um, or marketing automation today, which is a well-established category. You have clear leaders and all that stuff. I think you have to fundamentally flip the funnel of some sort in that, in that category in order to be a leader. You'll have to challenge the Goliath, whoever that is, in that space. And you'll have to come up with a better way to talk about, again, the problem as opposed to the solution. And, and that's going to take very different messaging, community building, and evangelistic skills to do that um, because category leadership after some point is there's a tipping point where you, you, you get to a point where you ramp up and you become a, the de facto category leader like, like Salesforce has been, for example, but then they have to lead also with their product innovation. So you have to not only be a thought leader, but now also be a product 
uh, thought leader. And, and that's where you get the double uh, upside swing that companies like Salesforce has seen or HubSpot has seen, like they were not the best product in the early days, but HubSpot or period of time as the community grew, they kind of caught up their product to the community and now they're doing all these other product and add-ons which are being phenomenal. So the communities allowed them to do those innovations of products. So overall, you'll need to hit that tipping point. But if you are in this stage where you're like, you know what, I know who the Goliath is in this category, you have to really, I, I think I would study them, understand what problem they're trying to solve and figure out an, an angle to reframe the problem and recreate the, 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 the relationship with the community and the problem. And then, well, I, I would say this for sure though, but without a community, you, you're still going to be product led. So how do you change that and make it your own community is going to be the, the I think, deciding point between if you're able to take over the, the leader uh, in that state. Yeah, so do you think all SaaS companies should aim to become a category leader? Um, it's, a, it's a very interesting question. Um, I think if you have a ton of investing investor money, I, I would say like, you know, that's what your investors want. Uh, it really doesn't matter at that point what you want because more than uh, more than 50%, you're probably owned by the investors and a board. In those cases, you better do those things. Otherwise, you will not get any more funding and you're already over leveraged at that point. So if you have a lot of money raised, uh, I think that's what you're going for. You, you like it or not, you think it or not, but that's why people put money in you, quite frankly. Now, if you are a bootstrap company, uh, it, then I've seen a lot of companies being really good. Like Pardot was a perfect example. Pardot um, was uh, co-founded by David Cummings and Adam Blizzard. They were bootstrapped. Um, they took their company to 10 million in the marketing automation heydays, and they got acquired by Exact Target for 95 million. And that's this is all public information, so people can verify this. Uh, so, but it was all bootstrapped. They just raised about, I think, two million or something like that, and from the bank. So it wasn't a VC money. So bootstrapping, they were able to hit ten million in revenue that got them a ten x multiple um, because they were at the right place, at the right time, in the right area. So it really depends on where the pressure is coming from and what pressure you want to put on yourself. Uh, I would say that you know it is not for the faintest of heart and two it is a huge distraction if you think about it because you want if you want to build all this uh, like your product and you're investing in you it's an investment question too like it takes money and time and resources to investing in building a community and and all that it takes to build help build a category so it, it is not for someone it's, it's not a side job it's not like a project or initiative it is a business strategic decision of a long-term long-term play um, and that's something that uh, that requires some thought put into it yeah and if we take a look at what's been happening recently in our space in the marketing and sales space so outreach they recently acquired sales hacker so why did they make this acquisition and what's that got to do with category leadership you know, that's a really, really good point because I was looking at, and I'm a good friend with Max, uh, and I've talked to the folks uh, at Outreach as well. Uh, I mean, it's really, I mean, if that is, I'm so glad you brought that up because that's a perfect example. Like, well, who's Outreach's number one competitor in the marketplace? Like sales lock. So, you know, having the, so what is, why would, you know, they are going head to head almost on every single um, 
deal that's out there. And, um, and, and right now, what's the difference between outreach and sales loft? Now, of course, if you ask each one of those company people, they would say a million different differences, right? But from a buyer perspective, you're getting, you're getting both of them are commodity, right? Like at the end of the day, they do certain yep. cadences and email outreach and allow salespeople to be efficient and give them metrics. And they're adding more and more stuff. And one day outreach will have more innovation. The next day, sales loft will have more innovation. So, so both of them at, 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 at in, in a given time, just like any other industry uh, or category, uh, they're, they're going to have a lot more similarities and they would be more about feature functionality kind of battles. So outreach Try buying sales hacker. What they did is what what I don't know if it, how it will play out. Uh, it, it, time will tell. But they are trying to be category leaders. That's why they bought a community because we, we as we talked about in this this podcast earlier is that without a community, you know, you are a commodity. So they have a customer base just like Salesloft has, but that's not a community. Your customers are, is not a community. Like if you think about Dreamforce, not every person who attends Dreamforce is a um, is a customer of Salesforce. They are part of the ecosystem or something. Uh, I, I think I remember at HubSpot, I was there last year as well at Inbound. Uh, I think there are only 40 or 45% of them are customers. And the rest are people attending. So you think about a community is way bigger. It's a set of your future customers and partners that are attending. And, and that's what Outreach did. They, they're a perfect use case for saying that they built a great product and they're having great success and but they probably are not able to hit through the ceiling to get be a category leader and say that hey look we don't even not just build a great product um, not only that we are customer obsessed but we are community first and we are investing in building a better bigger community out there so I feel like they're doing it the reverse way which I don't know if it really would work or not the time will tell they 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 started with the product and then they're buying a, a community if you will to 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 establish that relationship. I would say that you, you like nine out of ten times you actually have to start with it. I don't know if you can truly buy a community, but but that's what they did. So it's interesting to see how that goes. But it does support the conversation you and I have been having is that every category leader has a community, and that's beyond their customer base. Yeah, exactly. So I think it's a good case for people to go and check out, and I think it's going to be a good story to follow as well to see what happens. And I think now we could actually move to our closing questions and the fast five challenge. So all I'm going to do, Sangram, is ask you five questions and you just have to answer as quickly as possible. So are you ready? Ready for it, man. All right, let's do it. So the first one, what's the one book you would recommend others to read? Oh, Behind the Cloud by Mark Benioff. Uh, incredible book. Yes, classic. A SaaS company that you love and why? Drift, uh, great friends with them. I feel like they're building a new category uh, and it reminds us of a lot of what we have been doing earlier. So I love and I love to follow and see how well they're doing it. Perfect. Third question, your favorite place to read about marketing and sales and SaaS online? Uh, I have to first be biased uh, around Flip My Funnel, but then I would say like I listen to uh, or read Saster uh, pretty frequently. Great. Fourth question, your most important growth metric. Ooh, um, it's, uh, our, our, like, it's, it's really a team uh, metric. Our number one is what our sales numbers look like. That is, as long as that's growing in the right direction, we are moving in the right direction. And, and that becomes the secondary one uh, at the, with almost the, the same weight, if you will, is the community number because that tells us is the market growing. 
So as long as these two numbers are growing, we know that we have a healthy business to run and then we also have a great future ahead of us knowing that the community numbers are growing. Yes, perfect. And then the final question. So your best piece of advice for our listeners, so fellow SaaS marketing and sales leaders. Be bold. Uh, don't, don't try to replicate uh, what others are doing. Uh, be bold, be you, be unique. And, and try, to, try to just you know, do new things. Um, like, I, I, like lately, we've been thinking about the idea that I feel like the podcasts are the new white papers, uh, you know, videos are the new blogs. And I've been talking about that because I feel like things are changing very fast and very rapidly. So don't wait for another person to come up with something new and do and say, oh, that's a great idea. Just try it and see. It's never been easier to try new things and, and, and fail fast on it. Yeah, love it. And I could also add one additional book to Behind the Cloud by Mark Benioff, and that's Play Bigger, which is all about category creation and category leadership, which I think if, if our listeners are interested in that, of course, what we've been talking about, then definitely go read that as a follow-up. So, hey, Sangram, I have to say, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's been an absolute blast having you on the show. Man, it's a personal pleasure of mine, and I'm so glad we're able to do it. Hopefully, there's value for your listeners on this. That was Sangram Vajre on the story of the Flip My Funnel movement, ABM, and how to become a category leader. You can reach out to Sangram on Twitter at Sangram Vajre, and you'll also find him being very active on LinkedIn. So do connect with him there. So let us know your thoughts, and if you have any feedback, then you're always welcome to get in touch with me on Twitter at Nordic Edward, LinkedIn, or reach out to me at edward at advancedb2b.fi. So thank you guys so much for listening to the Growth Hub podcast brought to you by Advanced B2B. This is your host, Edward Ford, signing off, and make sure you check out advancedb2b.com for more content and resources on everything B2B SaaS growth. It's our job to tell better stories. And all